Trinity of Fairview, uh, thank you for the opportunity to come and speak. First of all, I want to apologize for my sweater, okay? I know you've been looking at it. I dropped my wife off this morning at 6 o'clock at Asheville Airport. She is working with Compassion International. She's a trip leader for them, so she leads mission trips about 10 times a year. And so she is right now in, in El Salvador, San Salvador. And so be praying for her that they have a great productive week and they'll release kids from poverty uh, in Jesus' name this week. But that was the first trip that she went on, uh, official card-carrying, compassion employee, First time she led, we don't have kids of our own. Some people have kids, we go on cruises. Um, and so, so, so I, I, I watched her walk through those airport doors and for all you preschool mamas that I've made fun of that cry when your kids go to kindergarten, I apologize for that. I'm doing a lot of apologies today. But I apologize, so I went home and, and I got dressed and she did not approve this outfit. I go to Mud Creek Baptist Church, a place of constant encouragement, a place where people believe in you. And starting with my pastor down, I just got crucified for wearing this sweater. And, and I said to my ministry assistant, Lisa, I said, Lisa, I, I just can't match things up good. And she said, Mark, it's not that it doesn't match, it's ugly. <laughs> it's ugly. And, and, and you might be saying, well, why didn't you go home and change your clothes? I'm an associate pastor, so I actually work. So I didn't have time to go home and change my clothes. Right, Jesse? You know what I'm saying? You can say amen. I mean, you know, Adam, you can say amen. Ed, um, I, I want to share with you tonight. Just, I just want to talk to you. I just want to uh, give a testimony. Uh, Stacy, I want to just ask you to ask me to come back and preach one time. But I just, I just want to give a testimony. This is... This is tougher for me than just taking the Word of God in the book of James and expounding three or four verses. Uh, this is personal to me, and I know it's going to be personal to you. And I just want to amen what David says in Psalm 118, starting in verse 14. And the Bible reads this, The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. Songs of joy and victory are sung in the camp of the godly. The strong right arm of the Lord has done glorious things. Exclamation mark. I will not die. Instead, I will live to tell what the Lord has done. So tonight, I want to stand and shout instead of sit and pout. Uh, I want to stand and shout a testimony about my God and His goodness and who He is, and what He is, and what He can do, and what He has done. All of us in this room, you're either approaching a, a valley in your life, you're heading for a valley, and what I want to do is I hope this testimony equips you for that valley. Not if it's coming, it's coming. Uh, trials, the book of James says, and I said I wasn't going to preach, but the book of James says that trials count it all joy if trials come your way. When trials come your way, you're to count it all joy. So trials know your email address. They know your, your, your profile on your social media. They, the trials know your, your address at your house. Trials know where you are. They will find you. So I want to equip you for that valley so you won't sit and pout. You'll stand and shout in the midst of that valley. And if you're in a valley, I, I want to uh, encourage you. I, I want to just... I don't want to diminish the suffering that you're going through. And in this room, on every pew, there's someone in a valley. It's a different valley, but you're, you're in that valley. And is, if you hold on to the right arm, the strong right arm, that right hand of our Lord, and He's reaching for you, He's grabbing for you, I want to encourage you, and I want to tell you to hang on. Because whatever your suffering is, and I'll share what mine was and I don't want to diminish yours, and I don't want to compare yours to mine, and I don't want to compare my suffering to the different types of suffering that go on in the category of my suffering, but we all have different suffering, but we have the same Savior. And here's the bottom line. Whatever your valley is will not have the last word in your life. It will not. Jesus will have that last word. So I want to encourage you that. So you're either going into a valley, you're in a valley, or you're stepping out of a valley, and I want to celebrate with you. I want to celebrate with you. I want to weep with those that weep, and I want to rejoice with those that rejoice. But I stand before you, and I want to just shout five megaphone moments, 
And hopefully, it'll educate about our shepherd and equip us for our valleys. First megaphone moment, I entitled Three Thursdays. It was the longest 21 days of my life. Uh, on the first Thursday, it, uh, July the 26th in 2012, I was underneath a mosquito net in Kampala, Young, uh, Uganda. And uh, we were there. Uh, my wife and I just finished up a busy day of mission work, and we were getting ready to go to supper. And I, I got a phone call. And it's a, it's a dreaded phone call. It's a phone call that happens after detection, and there's going to be a diagnosis. And the doctor found me. He called me. Trials found me in Uganda. Uh, and I answered that telephone, and he said, Mark, it is cancer. It is uh, breast cancer. It is invasive ductal carcinoma male breast cancer. And you, you, you're looking right now going... Is he joking again? No. If you would have scripted that in my life in 2012 and what God was doing in my life and where my wife and I were in a season in our life, if you were to sit down and say, here's the most far-fetched thing that you can ever think of that would ever happen in your life, and it's going to be male breast cancer, I would have not believed that. And so it rocked me. The Thursday before that, uh, before we left for Africa, I was sitting on a cold medical table fixing to have a surgical biopsy of my right chest. I've learned something about doctors through this entire process. They're liars. <laughs> don't need, I don't know how to sugarcoat it any other way. Uh, Ms. Trenicut, this is going to sting a little bit. Now, I, I'll, t I'll recant that because if he's talking about a sting from a seven-foot yellow jacket, then he wasn't lying, Okay. But if not, he was telling a little, little fib there. And the Thursday before that, I attended an appointment with my family doctor because of the suspicious knot that I discovered. Dr. Vizi, which has been my doctor, I grew up in Hendersonville. He's just a great man. And he has a constant poker face. But since we're in revival, he had a constant Uno face. And he, no matter what I went to him with, he, he would always have the same facial expression. When he, when he examined me, his countenance, his whole countenance just changed. And there was a sense of urgency that came over him. And he said, this presents itself as male breast cancer. I left his office and I had to stop. I had a list for my wife. We were doing a meeting, uh, an Africa meeting before we were to leave to go to Africa. And so I had to pick up some things. And I pulled into the grocery store parking lot. And I stopped my truck and I cut my truck off. And I just sat there stunned. See, this wasn't the first time that I'd been diagnosed with cancer. As an 18-year-old kid, I was diagnosed with leukemia. So I'd been through cancer before. I'd been through radiation. I'd been through chemotherapy. I'd been through a bone marrow transplant in Seattle, Washington. So, so I knew about cancer. But Pastor Stacy, I was now a pastor. I was now a pastor that had been a pastor for about 20 years. I ministered to people that had diagnosis. I ministered to people that were in a, in a valley. I wasn't the one that was diagnosed. And so I just sat there stunned. I put my head on my steering wheel. And I can remember just saying, God, I don't like this. Lord, I don't want this. I've had this one time. I don't want to be selfish. If you want to give it to someone else, God, I, I, you, know, you can do that. But, but I knew, I knew in my heart of hearts that this was cancer. I knew that my God had designed and decreed this valley for my life, for my good, and for His glory. And right there in that parking lot with my head on the steering wheel, and I want you to understand something, I didn't like it. I didn't like it at all. But I knew that God decreed it. I knew that God designed it for his glory, and for my good. And so with my head on that steering wheel, a peace came over me that I long for, that, that I strive for in my life today as, as a healthy man. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, do not worry about anything. Don't be anxious in anything. So what can we be anxious in? Nothing. Don't, don't worry about anything. Be anxious in, in, don't be anxious in anything, but in everything, with prayers and supplications, make your requests known to God. 
So what are we to pray about? Everything. Not, we, there's nothing that we're not to pray about. There's nothing that we're to be anxious about. So you take an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper and you write on there everything that you're supposed to worry about, everything that you're supposed to be anxious about. It should look just like this piece of paper. <laughs> then you write on that piece of paper everything you're supposed to pray about and it's going to be filled up. So God says, hey, if you do that with prayers and supplication, with thanksgiving, with gratitude, my peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding. It's a peace that's beyond anything that I can talk to you about. It's a peace beyond anything that you've ever experienced in your life or how you tried to get peace in your life by trying to work your way up or trying to bargain with God. The first, time, first thing that happens when we are facing a diagnosis, we get into those, God, if you do this, then I'll do this. You've done it. You've done it. You can't get peace that way. It's a peace that comes when you turn to God and He says that I'll give you a peace that passes all understanding and I will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. You know who your bouncer is? You know who your bodyguard is? That when anxiety starts coming into your life and worry starts coming into your life between detection and diagnosis, you know who that is? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. He's there. And so the megaphone moment I want to share with you is that God is able to give you a peace. A peace that's better than anything else. The second megaphone moment I entitled Dealing with the Diagnosis. In Africa that evening, I hung up the telephone. And uh, my wife, which is just, she's my hero. She's one of the greatest Christians that I know. I hung the phone up and she's sitting there on the edge of the bed and she looks at me. And she says, Mark, you've got one pouting moment. You can do it now or you can do it later when you want to do it. So I, I think I'll save it. I think I'll, I think I'll, I think I'll save it. And I used it. I, I, I used it. I won't share this, but I used it. It's, it's tough. Chemo and radiation drain tubes and stuff. It's, it gets pretty rough. Uh, it's, but I didn't use it there. We went to dinner. And, and like a mission team do, does, we gathered around. We ate a good meal. And the leader of the trip he stood up after we ate, and you kind of do a debrief, and you share. And he said, hey, does anybody have anything they want to share with the group tonight? I said, I do. Nobody knew this except my mom and my pastor. Uh, and I shared with that team. I said, hey, I was just diagnosed with male breast cancer. And they prayed, and they tried to give words of encouragement. And we went back to our room and climbed under that mosquito net. And you say, Mark, were you able to sleep like a baby? Again, because that Philippians 4, 6, and 7 was just going over in my mind and my heart and resounding and bouncing around. And God was just giving me a peace that was a is absolutely incredible that He gives me even to this day when I follow the decrees and the directions that He gives me there. And I've heard it say, why count sheep when you can talk to the shepherd? You know, why count the stars when you talk to the maker of the stars? And only He can give you a peace. The next morning after breakfast, I got up and I went out early. And I, I love to get up early in the morning. And so I was one of the first ones there. And I'm making my Africa tea. And I sat down at the table. And this lady named Sue, that's from Sister Church, um, she's been with us on mission trips before. She's not a real outgoing person. She's kind of a type B personality. She sneaks up beside me. And she bends down. And she opens her Bible to Isaiah 41 and she starts to read and it's kind of awkward because she's kind of nervous and she says Pastor Mark I usually don't do this but God showed me this something this morning that I wanted to share with you he, he literally spoke to me and told me to tell you this Isaiah 41.10 fear not for I am with you be not dismayed for I am your God I will strengthen you I will help you I will uphold you with my righteous right hand and there's a theme developing here about the right hand of God and how God upholds us and how God reaches down to us. And I'm going to get to it. I don't want to be anticlimactic, but that right hand also has a wound mark in it. So you're not dealing with an empathetic Savior. You're not dealing with an icon or a relic that doesn't understand suffering. I didn't know that then like I know it now, but that, that verse meant a lot. And I looked at her and said, thank you, Sue. And then people started coming in, and we started eating breakfast. And it was still kind of awkward. They're trying to cheer you up, you know. And 
We go out and gather around the mission vehicles in the Ugandan church. I don't know if you've ever been to Uganda, but revival is happening in Uganda. Uh, we go just to support the church and do child advocacy. Evangelism, they got it. People are getting saved left, left and right. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, Muslims, I've never heard a Muslim personally say, I used to be a Muslim until I started going to Uganda six years ago. It's at, the church is just, just doing great. So they would gather up. And they would circle up and we would have a word of prayer and we would sing and then get on the mission vehicles and then go and do our mission work. So we gathered up and this guy named Scott Limerick, which was the worship pastor at that time in Brevard, at Brevard Community Church, he had his Bible open and he stepped into the middle of the crowd and he said, I don't usually do this, but in my quiet time this morning, God gave me a verse that he wanted me to share with Mark Honeycutt. And he opened his Bible to Isaiah 41, 10. And read the exact same verse that Sue read to me that morning. Now, nobody else knew that except Sue. And Sue didn't know that Scott knew it. Scott didn't know that Sue knew it. But God knew that I knew it. And 1,500 men in 2012, 1,500 were diagnosed with male breast cancer. So what's the percentages, Mark, of a chance that you were diagnosed with male breast cancer? I don't know that. I, that's a lot of math to figure out. But i got another question for you. What's the percent chance of, out of all these verses in this Bible that two random people within a 20-minute time period would step forward and say, God told me to read you this verse? My God is bigger than a percentage. My God is able to do more than I could ever ask, think, or imagine. My God was showing me that He's got this. Florence, which is uh, we call our Auntie Florence, and she works with Compassion there in Uganda. And she was in that group. And, and when he stepped and read that verse, they kind of pushed me to the middle of the group. And the group just kind of collapsed. And that African church started praying. And it wasn't like a, you know, a prayer like some of us do where you pray and then I pray. And then you, know, you, you pray. And then, hey, Brother Stacey, will you close us out in prayer? They just started praying. I'm talking about praying, praying heaven real and hell hot. And the gospel is, is hope and help. And, and Miss Florence, when everybody else kind of finished up, she just kept on going. And she recounted every, literally, I, I went back and kind of researched it, every Old Testament miracle in the 39 books of the Old Testament. She went through those miracles, and she was claiming healing, and she was claiming health. And when she got to the end of those miracles, she shouted, What is cancer to you, O God? And then she did this. Hmm. Hmm. I can't tell you the number of times I heard through my protocol and what, what happened in my life, that little, hmm, what is cancer uh, to you, oh God? I want to stand and shout. Uh, number three, we need wisdom. Several days later, we stepped off an airplane and diagnosed in Africa, and you kept on doing mission work, but, it, but you had to go home. And so we had to face a diagnosis. We had to face... Uh, protocol, what we were going to do and how we were going to do it. And did I need treatment? Did I need a mastectomy? Did, who was going to be my doctor? I didn't have a clue about breast cancer, much less ma uh, male breast cancer. And, and my wife, no, it wasn't in her family. We did not know anything. So we got off that plane, and you can actually kind of start hearing the anxiety that started building back up about what to do. We were not home hardly no time, and I got a phone call from missionary Steve. Steve Revis. Uh, is a missionary in Haiti. He's an old, he's an ag guy. He does agricultural missions, which I, I love. I love to take guys on ag mission trips and just watch them get dirty. Um, but he's been, he's been growing crops there. He's been digging wells there. He, he's about getting close to 70 years of age. In the fall of 2012, my wife and I, Mud Creek, for our 15th anniversary, gave us a mission sabbatical. And so we said we want to go to Haiti for five weeks, and we want to live with Missionary Steve in northwest Haiti. I know we're crazy, but that's what we want to do. No power, no electricity. Well, that's usually no power. No, uh, no running water, no electricity. And so we're there with Missionary Steve, and we're serving in Latang. Latang has about 250 people in it. There's not a Bible-believing church there. Uh, he's got a, a farm there. We developed some agriculture, and he's dug a well, and he pumps water to about 85 families in over a three-mile str uh, stretch. And if he didn't pump water, they wouldn't be living. That village wouldn't be there. And uh, there is a church there now, by the way. But in 2012, there wasn't. So Cheryl and I, in the evening, we would do a, a Bible study, like a backyard Bible club with these Haitian kids. We started with six. When we ended up, we had about 120 kids. 
And Missionary Steve going, I don't know where these kids are coming from. Are they bringing them in on boats or what? I mean, well, I don't know where they're coming from. It's coming from everywhere to hear the gospel and love. And so I would teach, and we'd do a Bible study and play some games. And if the kids were good, which they all were, my wife would give them a dumb, dumb sucker. They're easy to pack. You can buy them in big things at a, you know, at a Costco or at a Sam's. And so she'd give them all a dumb, dumb sucker. They loved those dumb, dumb suckers. So when we came to Haiti, I was Pastor Mark. Bonjour, Pastor Mark. They speak, speak French Creole. By the day three of the Bible studies, and we started giving them dumb, dumb suckers, when we would drive down the road, it was bonjour, Pastor Dum Dum. Bonjour, Pastor Dum Dum. <laughs> so when Missionary Steve called me, he said, Mark, I just want to let you know that the kids of Latang want Pastor Dum Dum to know that they're praying for him. And then he reminded me of a verse. In James 1.5, if you lack wisdom, ask your God. He will give you that wisdom liberally. He will give it to you without getting upset with you. He will give you wisdom if you acknowledge that you don't have that wisdom and you ask God for that wisdom. So in the middle of that anxiety, when I hung the phone up, my wife just bowed and we prayed. And we said, God, we don't have a clue. God, we need you. We need your wisdom. It wasn't much longer and later than that that we got a message uh, on Facebook from a lady that was in my youth group. She was, uh, I did her wedding ceremony. She had just become one of the brand new breast care navigators um, at Party Hospital. And so she messaged me. She said, Mark, come talk to me. So the next day, I sat in her office, and right across from me was this young girl that I, as a sixth grader all the way through up 12th grade, taught her the word, loved her. My wife and her hung out. We did her wedding ceremony. And she sat and she'd been to college. She knew more about cancer and breast cancer than I will ever know about it. And she said, here's your options. Here's a way to go. And literally that day, I saw Jesus. I saw Jesus in her. Just sitting, giving wisdom after wisdom. And, and this tense pastor just relaxed in that chair saying, God, I thank you for wisdom. So I want to stand today and just shout a megaphone moment that will keep you from sitting and pouting and help you stand and shout that when you lack wisdom, ask God for that wisdom. Yes. My fourth megaphone moment, the protocol path. We had to get the cancer out of my body. That's a good thing. Um, my surgical oncologist took my right breast tissue and one sentinel node to be tested to see if the cancer had spread. I woke up from that surgery with a huge piece and started the recovery process. But what would be the results of that lymph node dissection? If it's gone to that one lymph node, there's a good chance it could spread. A week later, I was standing uh, in my office at church, and I got that phone call again. Same doctor, same phone call. And he said, Mark, the lymph node is positive for cancer. And it's uh, broke through the cell wall. And so this is uh, taking it from a stage uh, 2 to a stage 3B. We're going to have to do more surgery. This is going to add radiation to your protocol path besides just chemotherapy. And uh, so it, it, just, it just rocked me. It just uh, shocked me. And so there I was on a Wednesday night. We do a full-blown service on Wednesday night at Mud Creek Baptist Church with choir and orchestra, and our pastor preaches a, brand, a new message. And... It's just a great service. The house was packed out. And I sat on the front row right there. I walked in and I sat down. Now, we, we uh, help our pastor plan messages and do graphics and some other things. And I knew this for months, uh, weeks, but I didn't know it until I sat down and Preacher Greg stood up. And he said, we're going to start a brand new series on Wednesday night. And for the next couple of months, we're going to walk through Psalm 23. There I sat. And God's like, Mark, I got this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Psalms 23, 4. Two weeks after my mastectomy, I ran the Hendersonville Apple Festival 8K race. Um, I've always done it every year. Didn't see a reason not to do it, so we just did it. Uh, again, we're crazy. We're nuts. Um, my desire was to run through that valley. I'm a competitive guy. I played basketball. I know it's hard to believe, but I was very good at basketball in high school. Um, but I, I love, I'm comp competitive, so I'm just like psyching myself up. I'm going to get through this valley. I'm going to run through this valley. Just like I ran that, that race, I'm going to run through this valley. Chemo, drain tubes, another surgery that took 27 lymph nodes out of my right arm. 
radiation, that tends to slow you down. And the Bible says in Psalms 23, 4, even though I walk, you don't run. In our culture, we want everything fast. Easy Mac, three minutes, you can have some macaroni. Grandma took her crock pot, took her all day. You know what I'm saying? But if, if, you, if you are looking at me saying you can't tell the difference between Easy Mac, mac uh, microwave macaroni, and crock pot macaroni, you're crazy, right? You're crazy. I was trying to find a spiritual word, but you're crazy. That's a good word. Uh, Paul talks about in Corinthians that your life be a good aroma to the unchurched, to people that are far from God. It's crockpot. Um, to get the you out of you and the Jesus into you, it's a sanctification process that will take until you step into glory. It, it, it's a process that's going to take a long time. That didn't happen. Uh, the transition from chemo to radiation was a very interesting transition. During chemotherapy, you're in a room, and you can look outside, and they're feeding squirrels, and there's birds, and your wife can be in there with you, and you can watch TV and magazines. It takes about six to eight hours for the drip of chemotherapy when you have that drip. Radiation is completely different. You go into a room, and there's two ladies, and they wear lead vests, and um, they go in there, they get you set up, and so you uh, actually had, they, they contort your body to try to get the, where they need to get the radiation. So you had to bend my arm like this and put this arm back here and like kick my le right leg. So I have contortions on my re resume now. I can, I can bend around. And they would leave the room and seal like a big bank, bank vault door. And you could literally hear, hear it seal. And they would communicate through a microphone. Before I went in there, I had six weeks, Monday through Friday, of uh, radiation and so before I went in there, uh, Stacy, I said, I'm going to memorize a chapter a, a week. I'll memorize six chapters of Scripture and take those chapters in there with me, and I'm going to memorize those as I'm doing my treatment. The first chapter that I re-memorized was Psalm 23. And so I'm laying there. It's a Monday. They got you fitted. I'm laying there. They walk out, and they say, okay, Mr. Honeycutt, this won't take very long. Um, and so, but, you know, we need you to be very still. It's obvious why you need to be very still. If they're shooting radiation into your body, you want it to go where they want it to be shot. You don't want to be moving around. And so as she was getting ready to start that radiation, I'm mouthing Psalm 23. I'm not saying it out loud. I'm just mouthing it. She buzzes in, Mr. Honeycutt, are you chewing gum? <laughs> you need to be perfectly still. That week, when I would go, I would quote Psalm 23. The next week, I didn't memorize another verse of Scripture. Again, chemo, radiation, it just messes with you. It's an evil, evil thing. I just stuck with Psalm 23. Week three, I stuck with Psalm. I memorized Psalm 23 the entire time. I never could say it out loud in that room. I couldn't shout it then, but I can shout it now. Amen. The Lord yeah. is my shepherd. I will not want. Amen. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside Still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God is good. God is good. Just, just real quick. I promised I wouldn't preach, but just real quick. Verse 3. He restores my soul. I've always been an optimist, upbeat, type A, ADD, HD, times 3 type guy. That's just who I am. It's the way God wired me. And so I've always been up. I just want to tell you in a valley, it's okay for you not to be up. It's okay for you not to fake a smile. It's okay for you to hurt. It's okay for you to cry. He restores my soul. For David's soul to be restored, it has to be deplenished. And David was a musician. Brother Ed, he, he, you, you know that, right? It's Ed, right? Okay, God. You know. So he probably didn't have all this stuff. This is a nice Mac up here. I like this. <laughs> There's my ADD. Uh, but he was a musician. 
And so he understood that it had a, it had a, it had a rhythm, restoration and depletion. That as, I, if I, as I'm walking, it's not always going to be up, it's not always going to be down. God's going to restore my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Not only does it have a rhythm, and your suffering it has a, has a rhythm that you've got to get into. It never stops. It may get real slow, but you keep moving forward. If you have to crawl, you keep moving forward. You can make it through the next five minutes. No matter what your suffering is, you can make it through the next five minutes. Then you can make it through the next five minutes. There's a rhythm that goes on there. But he leads me in paths of righteousness. It's not random. It rhymes. It makes sense. These songs that we just worshiped God and we sung, they rhymed. It was a rhythm, but it wasn't some weird thing that didn't make sense. It rhymed. And in your life, the paths of righteousness, it makes sense to trust God. It never makes sense to let go of His hand. It never makes sense to not try to grasp Him and understand Him. It doesn't make sense to deny who God is. It, it, it should rhyme. Why? There's a reason. There's a reason we sung these songs tonight. Sir, ma'am, young person, I hope you like those songs, but they weren't for you. They were for God. Ma'am, sir, I, again, I don't want to diminish your suffering or your valley, but your valley and your suffering is not about you. It's about our God. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Don't miss this. For His name's sake. The name on the front of the jersey is more important than the name on the back of the jersey. And in Western Christianity, we need to grasp that and understand that. That the world does not revolve around Mark Honeycutt. That it's not all about me. That it's about my God and my Savior. And if God can use my situation as a megaphone moment to bring glory to His name, and it, it brings honor to His name, for His name's sake, I will go through this valley. Again, I said I wouldn't preach, so I was going to move on. Number five. Number five. Megaphone moment. I didn't know what else to title this, so I just titled it My Soul Sisters, Songs and Scriptures. I'm trying to find my sister that, that, that's my, that I talked to earlier today in the back. She doesn't have a lot of hair like me. There she is. She's in the booth back there. Hey, you know, kindred spirit, bonded. Didn't talk to you but, but two minutes. And I mean, just so. So when I went through this, I didn't know what was going on. But I started getting phone calls. I started getting text messages. I started getting letters in the mail from these soul sisters that said, Hey, and I, I, I almost put just soldiers um, but, but it was mainly ladies that were saying, hey, I've been through this. My God was faithful when I went through it, and He'll be faithful to you when you go through it. Songs. I've never been a big music guy. No offense to the people wearing black, okay? <laughs> I mean, I love preaching. You know, sing one song, let's preach for an hour. That's my, always been my thing. But not now. In, in the songs... That God revealed to me. And when I started looking at the background of those songs, Ed, the songs that really resonated and meant a lot to me, when I looked at who authored those songs, they were usually men that had been through major suffering in their lives. And I don't, Ed, I just met you. It's the first time we've met. And I don't know your story, your testimony, but the way you lead worship, you've probably been broken in your life. You've probably went through suffering in your life. These songs meant so much to me. So I'm saying to you, the megaphone moment is when you're going in that valley, in that valley, or coming out of that valley, you need to grab onto some fellow soldiers. Don't discount fellowship. Don't discount that. Listen, you can't do this thing by yourself. And you need to understand something. When you neglect God's people, you need to neglect God. And when you're not close to God's people, you're not close to God. All of God lives in all of you. Young lady, how old are you? Ten? Do you realize you don't have the junior Holy Spirit? You don't? You didn't get Him in layers. You're not going to get Him in ten more layers. And in twenty, you're going to have all of God. When you bowed and accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, all of God came into all of you. And if you're wanting, where is God in the midst of my suffering? Answer your phone. Open the email. 
Read the text. That's God trying to speak to you. I wish God would speak to me. He's speaking through people. He's speaking through songs. And then grab a scripture. <laughs> grab scriptures. Psalms 1, uh, Philippians 1.25. Uh, Preacher Greg, I, I know he knocked it out of the park last night. He's an amazing communicator. Just, just blows me away. But uh, he, he would say, he would say, he'd say Marker, are you sleeping okay? I said, I'm sleeping like a baby. He said, I can't. God's waking me up in the middle of the night to pray for you, to claim scripture for you. I'm actually fasting over you, son. Are you, are you sure you're sleeping okay? I'm sleeping great. <laughs> Had a deacon text me at 2 o'clock in the morning. You up? <laughs> I didn't get it until about 9 o'clock the next day. And here's what he said after the next, you up, about 20 minutes later, he, he texts me this verse, Psalm, uh, Philippians 1.25. Knowing this, Paul says this, yes. knowing this, I'm convinced that I'll remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. I hung on, I clinged on to that. Yeah. I grabbed on to that verse. And, and it helped me to stand and shout instead of sit and pout. I'm on the other side of that valley now. Uh, I've already been through maybe a couple more since then. God's good. God's good. Um, doctors are pleased, and as far as we know, there's no more active cancer in my body. I feel great. God's good. Um, someone sent me this cartoon that's going to pop up here, and we'll go back to that one side. But I, I want to I show you this cartoon. Um, it's a picture of Kermit the Frog. He's sitting across the doctor's desk, and the doctor has done an x-ray. And Kermit's sitting there, and the doctor's hand is up in the x-ray, and the caption reads, What I'm about to tell you is going to change your life forever. Are you really sure you want to know it? <laughs> what I'm about to share with you, church, is going to change your life forever. You sure you want to know it? That in your suffering, this right hand of God that we've been talking about is in the middle of it. Amen. He's designing it and He's decreeing it. And here's one of the reasons why. The main reasons for His glory and because He's God. Um, I don't have time to expound upon this, but there's a guy named Job that if you read in your Old Testament, Job never knew why. On this earth, God never gave Job an answer. He knows now, because we're talking about him in 2014 in Fairview, North Carolina. But he never knew why. God, didn't, God, God used about seven chapters to eloquently explain to Job that, Job, I don't have to answer you because I'm God. Do you want to make a war plan against me, Job? Oh, you can't do it? I'm sorry, there's not enough light. You can't make the sun come up and go down? Oh, I'm sorry, Job. Are you, can you make that happen? No, you can't. I mean, God explains to him that he's God. And sir, ma'am, skepticism and why this happens and why that goes on and you don't understand it, as far as you know, you don't understand it. But you don't know. You're not infinite like our God is. You're finite. You're not all-knowing. You know a little bit. I don't care what you scored on the SAT. You're not God. And so as far as you know, that shouldn't have happened. As far as you know, God didn't care. As far as you know, God wasn't powerful enough to stop it from going on. But again, I'm telling you, whatever that is, and I'm not diminishing, please, I'm not diminishing the hurt and the pain and the suffering. I'm not diminishing that. But I want to make much of Jesus and less of pain and less of suffering. Because He will have the last word. Not that wreck. Not that diagnosis. Not that shattered dream or shattered hope. He will have the last word in that. Um, October. This is... Great that this is October because you can kind of understand what I'm talking about. It's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. My schedule state, I'm, I'm, I'm like speaking like 20 out of the next 30 days at teas, at uh, breast cancer rallies, at Relay for Lives. I'm just going to tell you, I got a love hate relationship with Pink. I'm just, 
I'm just gonna I'm just gonna be honest with you. So last year during October, I mean it was pink balloons and pink ribbons and pink socks and pink bows and Mark wear these pink shoes and just pink pink and literally at the end of October I, I went home and I said, Honey, I feel like I need to spit, listen to country music and go kill something. I mean I need to kill a deer or something. Just shake the sissy off of me. I got sissy all I just gotta get the sissy. I have a love-hate relationship with pink. <laughs> pink is about research, and I want you to join me in prayer. And I, want, I would love in our lifetime to see cancer eradicated. I'd love to. I'd love to rally that cry. I'd love to, to get involved. And I want to get involved with your organizations and how you're trying to combat cancer with research. I want to do that. But I want you to also understand something, church. The gospel trumps cancer. That I don't want to make much of cancer and less of Jesus. I want to make much of Jesus and less of cancer. Because here's the deal. If we cure cancer tomorrow, people will still die and go to hell. There's already a cure for lostness. And it's the gospel. And we need to make sure we preach that and uphold that and help people to understand that. Um, I went back to Uganda. The power of hope is, is a very powerful thing. If you can believe in somebody and give them a little hope and the empowerment of Christ. My wife, when we got on the plane to come back to, to, come back to the States, she said, we will be back here this week next year. We will be. So, honey, we don't, Mark, look at me. We will be. We'll be well and we'll be healed. And that little girl that we sponsor in Kampala, Uganda, that said, Mark, I'm praying for you. You will step in that village and you will shout the glory of God and how good God is and that they can celebrate what God did in your life. We will be back here next year. By God's graciousness and goodness, we got on a plane and we went back the same week that I was diagnosed back to Africa and ministered and did missions. Uh, the last week of that trip, I really felt like I really felt like I didn't take a deep breath until I got back on African soil. I don't know, it was just kind of weird. And I breathed and I said, okay, God, I'm ready. And, and if you followed my Facebook post or you know, know me at all, I constantly said, you guys go on, I'll catch up. I, I can't now because of drain tubes and other, but you go on. Don't worry about me. I'll catch up. And I really felt like that week God was going to show me something and God was going to reveal to me something that was going to be a springboard for my ministry and to kind of get traction and to move forward. And it, all week long I'm looking and I'm seeking. I'm trying to see what God wants to do. The last day we flew to Kenya and in Nairobi, Kenya, there's a church called Dandora Baptist Church. If I could go to any other church in the world and, and worship besides Mud Creek, and this is a close second, by the way. This is great. Yeah, that's fantastic. But... If I go anywhere, I'd be Dandora Baptist Church. This church was built on the second largest trash heap in the world. They built it on the trash heap and used a lot of the material from the trash heap to build the church. And so this is Dandora Baptist Church, and it's the last day, and, and I'm going to go, I'm going to fixing to walk into that church to worship with the Kenyan, my Kenyan brothers and sisters, and I step up on the step to walk into that church, and they had inlaid in the floor, if you'll go back a, back a step, slide, Psalms 23. And guess what color it is? It's, it's pink. It's pink. Those tiles, they didn't get those at Home Depot. They got them out of the trash heap, and they broke them up, and they put them in like mosaics, and they used them from different places. And if you, if it was a real, if you looked at the picture real close, it's different color pinks, but it's all pink. And they laid that in, and God shouted in my soul, Mark, I can take a mess, and I can make a message. I can take a mess, I can take broken pieces, and I can put them together, and I can make a message. And Trinity of Fairview, why I want you to steward your suffering, why I want you to stand and shout in your suffering is because people are listening. Stacy, I love your preaching. I love your excitement. I love your enthusiasm. I love your delivery. I love your preaching. But I'm just going to be honest with you. I love my pastor's preaching. People aren't listening real close. They're on the phone. They're, they're thinking about 
supper or lunch tomorrow or what the kids are going to wear to school. I mean, it's just it, podcast, airways, t uh, Christian television. There's this message after message after message, and they're not really listening like they used to listen. But you let somebody go through suffering, and you let them stand up and testify to our, the goodness of our God and the glory of our God. And sir, ma'am, that hospital bed is a greater pulpit than we will ever have as pastors for you to preach the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So I, I you, and, and some of you are bowing your heads and you're going, there's no way I could do that. And you know what? You're right. God, I want, as Paul, as Paul said, I crucify my flesh. I die to myself, God. And I depend upon you totally. And in your situation, you can't do that. Mark, I can barely make it through, much less share Jesus and give glory. You just ask God to empower you and give you opportunities. And you just go through it and you store it well. And you love Him and you praise Him and you watch what God does. He can take a mess and make a message. In the book of Job, I'm going to go back to, to Job. Um, I just feel led to do this. Job's wife is known for one thing in the book of Job. She approaches Job. She says, Job, curse God and die. She asks Job a question, though, before she makes that statement. A lot of people don't, a lot of people don't know this. She asked, him, she asked him a question. She says, Job, how long, after all this suffering, after all this pain, how long, Job, will you hold on to your integrity? How long? Curse God and die. So Trinity of Fairview, I leave you this. How long are you going to hold on to your integrity? How long? How long? Hold on to God. You've done it up to this point. And again, I don't, I don't want to be a downer, but I want to be a realist. I want to shrink your reality of suffering and your expectation of suffering. And in Western society, we don't, we don't expect suffering. Um, I talked to a 43-year-old man last month. He hadn't been to church for four years. Mad at God. Just mad at And I said, sir, what's going on? God took my grandma. God took my grandma. I said, you know, how old was your grandmother? She's 93 years old. <laughs> and I don't want to diminish suffering. I don't want to do that. That's not what I'm doing. But, oh, okay, bro. I mean, you know, drove by a graveyard lately. I mean, 100 years from now, none of us are going to be here. I want you to shrink the reality of suffering and your expectation of suffering, and I want you to shrink that. Something else you can shrink is God's righteousness and your righteousness. Mark, you didn't deserve that. You, you're right, I deserve hell. You're right. Shrink that up too. Because you're not that good. You're not. Okay? You're, you're, you're depraved in your heart. It's sin. You're in a sinful world with a backdrop of judgment and sin. You need to shrink that too. And then I would also shrink the grip of, of God and you're griping and who what you're and to shrink that too, because he's got you. He's got you. Hold on to your integrity. He's able to take a mess and he's able to make a message. Would you please stand with me all across this room? And I pray you've seen God tonight. I pray you've understood and you've 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 embraced his character. And it won't come as such a shock, and you'll know how to store suffering in your life because it's, it's, it's coming. You're either going into it, you're entered, you're coming out of it. With your head bowed and your eyes closed all across this room, if you don't know Jesus, right before I came over here, I was at the Elizabeth House in Hendersonville with, with, a, with a lady. One of her sons is a de our deacon. She goes to another church, a sister church, and she's dying. She's probably got another week left. And she just looked at me and she said, Pastor Mark, what do people do without the hope of the gospel, without Jesus? It's like, I don't know. I don't know. And tonight, if you don't know Christ, if you've never repented of your sins and accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, He's your hope. 
He's not part of your problem. He is the answer. He is your solution. And so during this invitation, I want you just to do business with Him and you can say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that, God, I've fallen short. I've ignored you in my life. I ask you to forgive me of my sins and come into my life. God, thank you for saving me. Just cry out to Him. He knows what you need. You know what you, what you, what you need to say. Just cry out to Him and ask God to save you. If you're in a valley, I'd love to pray with you. If, if you have been diagnosed, I want to be careful and clear that my God is a healing God. Yeah. He didn't, he didn't cho choose to take it away from me, but that doesn't mean He won't choose to take it away from you. I don't want to take that option off the table because it's New Testament. It's as New Testament as you're going to get. Yeah. God can still heal in 2014. I'd love yeah. to pray a prayer healing over you. If you're struggling, if your perspective, your view of God is, is, is you're, you're pouting, I'm just going to say what it is. You're pouting. Come and ask God to empower you to stand and shout. This community needs that. This church needs that. Father God, I give you this invitation. Lord, I pray that we would see this altar as a place that an altar is for to bring sacrifice, to bring things bigger than us, to bring problems, to bring pain, to bring suffering, to bring God our, our righteousness and accept your righteousness and exchange that, God. You just, Lord, work and move and do what we can't do. God, we give this invitation to you. Lord, I pray that this church would respond and be, just simply be obedient. And we ask it in your son's name, yes. that wonderful name, that name that saves, that name that heals, that name that transforms, that name that encourages, that name that equips. God, that name, Jesus. Amen. We hope you've been blessed by today's message. If you'd like to find out more about Trinity of Fairview, Visit us online at trinityoffairview.org or call 828-628-1188.